Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, former editor-in-chief of CIO Magazine and now CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support and help of my friends at CIO.com and the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on both LinkedIn and YouTube, and we really welcome all of our viewers who are taking the time to join us today to tap in with your own questions for my guests. We'll be watching for those questions and happy to pass them along. And today's guest, I'm very pleased to welcome, is a longtime friend of the CIO family, Don Gowen, who is the Executive Vice President and CIO at Texas Capital Bank. Founded in 1998 and headquartered in Dallas, Texas Capital is a regional bank focused mainly on commercial and business banking services. It employs 2,200 people and holds more than $28 billion in assets. Don joined Texas Capital two years ago, almost two years ago, it'll be two years next month, as part of a new senior leadership team that was joining CEO Rob Holmes to diversify and broaden the bank's products and services, and also to invest in a sweeping and significant transformation of talent, technology, and the digital client experience. Don brought a lot of great experience to this role. For the last 18 years, he has been leading large-scale technology organizations and digital transformations in banking and financial services. During my CIO magazine days, we were lucky enough to have Don quoted in our pages and starring on many of our stages at our CIO regional events. And all that was happening while he was the CIO at Santander, a consumer bank, and before that, the digital operations officer at Capital One Financial, and before that, CIO of Capital One Auto Financing. Before he joined Texas Capital in May of 2021, Don spent three years working as a consulting CIO and senior executive advisor focused on technology consulting, staffing and offshore development issues, and managed services. And I, for one, am very glad that he has rejoined the world of big-time CIOs. Don, welcome. It's so nice to have you here today. Hi, Mary Fran. Thank you. It's really good to be with you again um, after so many years. I know. We've been making making a really big habit of this over the years. Now, uh, let's, well, let's jump right in. There's been a whole lot of uproar in the commercial banking sector with the recent collapses of both Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. How is Texas Capital weathering this storm? Yeah, th- thanks for asking. And I know everyone has seen all of the news of the last three weeks. Um, so I don't think it's my place to sort of give commentary on sort of what happened at mm-hmm. Valley, what happened at, at, at Signature Bank. But uh, definitely, you know, in a rising rate environment, it does challenge banks and how banks are funded and sort of how we operate. But that, that for us in doing this transformation, mm-hmm. this is exactly the reason why we did what we, we did over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were just starting this today, like we would be in a very different position, but we would have executed what we had already done starting from today in order to sort of weather this kind of environment. Yeah. So I feel very fortunate, very grateful uh, for the leadership of our CEO, for the ability of our executive team and all of our employees to take us, you know, as far as we've come over the last two years, such that we are in a position now where 
of strength in our capital ratios and and our liquidity uh, for the bank. We rank among the highest in terms of ratios across uh, the entire banking sector, not just regional. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are in a very very strong position here, and we don't we don't have the concentration risk that you see in um, that you saw in Silicon Valley, for example. Yeah. Uh, with the tech sector and in crypto with Signature Bank. Okay. Um, so we, we're, we're intentionally diversified into a fortress balance sheet. Excellent. Well, I know when we were um, talking before and getting ready for this interview today, um, you talked a lot about resiliency in, in, the, in the banking situation. And, uh, but before, and I want to get, we'll get into the tech transformation and all the kind of work you've been doing. But before that, how does this, is this another very similar CIO role to what you were doing at Santander and Capital One? Or does this feel different to you in some way? <laughs> in, in some ways, it feels the same in that I tend to get myself into these, these roles in these transformational roles. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is something that's attractive to me that I like doing. Um, but, um, you know, if you, if you think back to the credit crisis, uh, 2008, 2009, you know, the, the dynamics in the media and sort of what's going through, that does feel very similar. Uh, but what's, what's different here, I think, is you've got it's somewhat of a historic opportunity because we're, we're, we moved the entire bank at once. And when you look historically at other banks who have tried to do these types of things, you know, they typically end in an acquisition or, you know, something else happens and we're, mm-hmm. we're doing quite, quite well with it. And, um, you know, just if I, if I brought you in the room where we as an executive team and our operating committee meets, think of you know, like Rotunda, you know, 15 seats, 12 occupied, look in the eye of every single person around the room, mm-hmm. you've got very experienced executives sort of at the helm who can run any bank in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel sort of the, that this is something special. There's something special happening here. Yeah. It's very different, perhaps historic in what we've been able to accomplish. And, it, and it's a real, it's a real driving force to just being a part of something that um, it's, it's meaningful, it's purposeful, it's purposeful to communities, it's purposeful to business, mm-hmm. uh, certainly to, you know, our, you know, our employee base. Um, but it, it, it is something that I, that, I, that I was drawn to initially. Yeah. You know, when I got the call, um, do I want to step back in and do this thing again? Mm-hmm. And through and through, you could just feel that like there was something happening here that, that I wanted to be a part of. So it was a, it was a different energy. Very, yeah. Very high energy. Well, and uh, your CEO has um, been, he's been interviewed a lot lately. There was a a very good story a couple weeks ago in the Dallas Business Journal. And he was making the point in there that um, Texas Capital is the only financial, full service financial uh, firm in Texas that is founded and staffed and everything. It's very hometown, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yes. So, and it's hometown for you as well, because you go way back yeah. in Texas. Uh, so I, I was born here, grew up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent four years away when I was in the Marine Corps, but otherwise, yeah, this is hometown for me. So, so added to that, you know, just as an, for me as an individual, if you get 
the opportunity to do something like this mm-hmm. at a bank that's headquartered where you live, like it's, I feel like it's once in a lifetime. Um, but yeah, so it's, I think it's, it's very special in that way to being being Texas focused, headquartered in Texas. And okay, great. All right, let's talk about your marching orders when Rob Holmes brought you in as part of his his new team that was forming yes. back in, in early 2021. And um, how was we, I've seen references to how um, right-sizing the bank and diversifying the balance sheet and all that was a, a part of why the bank is, is successful and well-positioned now. But how was IT part of right-sizing a bank for success? Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, you know, coming into it, we, we launched our strategy in September of 2021. I came in in May. Wow. So we had some things kind of going, just assessing where we were, what we wanted to do, um, what the strategy was going to be going forward. So again, just very grateful being able to report to to Rob, report to the CEO and participate in the strategic planning so that we get in position to at the center of everything we're doing to make sure that we've got the digital landscape covered, we've got resiliency covered, we've mm-hmm. got, we're able to move the bank forward, layer in more products and services and do it in a safe, responsible way and have strong risk management. So my my participation in that, you know, equivalent to all the other executives participating is, is really to make sure that our, our technology foundations from the frontline tooling as we put bankers out in market mm-hmm. to core transactional systems and, 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 and moreover, focusing on those digital experiences that we think are differentiating. Okay. Um, you know, since we, we recapitalized the bank, uh, we wrote down some hobby investments. Uh, so we've very, been very public and transparent about the transformations and mm-hmm. the problems that we had to overcome. And so the marching orders are that we're not just trying to right size. We're trying to set ourselves up for growth okay. at the same time. So it becomes really critical and how you do this, not just sort of what you're doing. So mm-hmm. as we take step by step, we have to be sure that what we're laying down has a very long-term future outlook mm-hmm. uh, for the success of the bank going forward. Okay. Well, one of the and one of the points you made when we talked earlier is that a, a big focus of what you've done is injecting engineering, software engineering, data engineering into the bank talent pool. Um, it, tell us like, Three, three or four years ago, how was the tech organization structurally different in terms of talents and capabilities than it is today? What were some of the things that, that you did some pretty big changes on? Yeah, it's a great, great point. Um, you know, there's, it was a different operating model mm-hmm. in, in the past year where, you know, the, each line of business kind of ran their own strategy with technology and had some distribution out, mm-hmm. out into the business. And, and majority of the work was done by third parties. So there wasn't really a core engineering capability okay. in, in, the, in the bank, um, you know, past two years ago. So we did do that for the first time. Like you definitely have tech talent and, and many of them are still here. Sure. Um, what we did is we enriched that with software engineers and data engineers so that we could get out with bespoke um, products mm-hmm. that we develop in-house and make sure that we're modernizing our data platforms for the future 
like, you know, a lot's changed. We don't do data today the way we did 10 years ago. And so yeah. ad adopting new platforms, new technologies. And so it's an opportunity to bring in new talent and also reskill and upskill some of the folks that are here who want to mm -hmm. participate sort of in the new thing. But, but I think that's really the, the, the biggest differentiator in what we've accomplished in the tech part of the transformation is that core talent being able to deliver solutions all the way out to the client in the form of new products. Yeah. No, and it's funny, as you're talking about this, this sounds very familiar to a story that I've, a uh, kind of story I've discussed with um, CIOs at major size insurance companies and mm -hmm. even some of the bigger banks. Is this unusual for a regional bank to be doing? Was that one of the uh, things yeah. that drew you to this is that it, it generally in the regional bank space, you don't find this kind of uh, changeover to a more of an engineering focus? Yeah, I think you're right on that. Um, in, in the regional banks, you typically don't. You typically don't mm -hmm. find uh, that level of in-house development. It's it's more just just third party and commodity. But sure, we, we really are we got very serious about being differentiated in the client experience mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that what what we're offering we can meet clients where they are and their financial life cycle. And then and then if they come to us and they're a smaller smaller company, they can grow with us. So we have the strength of the balance sheet. We have all the tools and capabilities they need to grow mm -hmm. their their businesses over time, and they don't have to go anywhere else. Oh. And so, so we were really intentional on that front. And you know, if you look back to where the bank was in prior years, um, it was really more loan focused in the commercial space. But you know, and we'll get into this a little bit later. But the way we've transformed it, you know, mm -hmm. we have breadth of products and services out there now. Uh, that we can go after. So we're just on all fronts sort of advancing the mm -hmm. capabilities. But we do we, we do sit today with the with the launch of Texas Capital Securities, which is the investment bank mm -hmm. and the broker dealer. We have a trading floor in downtown Dallas. Um, the, the, the only full services financial services firm headquarters in the state of Texas. Interesting. Well, and um, uh, and some of the stuff you're saying and the idea of like building connected experiences uh, for clients and all, that probably sounds pretty familiar to a lot of people in the audience that, well, of course, there's lots of digital client experience. How What is so different about being able to bring this to, into the commercial banking sector? I, that probably most most of us regular human beings are used to having a certain number of these kind of services with our retail banking experiences. So is this, how is this unusual in the commercial banking space? Yeah, I think if the, the commercial side of it has been a little bit of a laggard on the, in the, on the digital, on the digital front, mm -hmm. you do see more of it in consumer. And there's this, you know, decade long discussion around the unbundling of the bank uh -huh. where the banking services start to get picked off by fintechs mm -hmm. and you turn to other products and services to kind of fill the gap where the banks had historically been a little sleepy. And, you know, I think if you just, just have conversations, if you were having conversations in the banks back then, you know, it would have been, you know, that's not our frontline business. Like let's focus on our frontline business. Mm. We'll just outsource the rest or we'll buy it. And the miss is really understanding that digital on the rise, 
you've got mobile getting in 2014, 2015, more people hit the internet with mobile phones than, than PCs mm-hmm. in the history of time. And it never, never went back. It's not going back. Right. And so these play out very, very strongly in the consumer space. On the commercial side, there's an order of um, difficulty that's in play, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, you're not mass market like you are on the consumer side. Mm-hmm. And so your, your, your adoption across, once you get a mobile phone in your hand, you solve this two-sided market equation. You get a way to reach you know, millions of people with apps. On the commercial side, you're not reaching you know, millions. You're, you're, you're focused on the banking services. But when you take that, 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 that idea of the digital experience and you, and you put it into the commercial bank, it becomes a very powerful thing. Okay. Uh, and so like one of our, one of the products we led with in the last year that we, that we launched called Initio, this is commercial onboarding and commercial onboarding is hard because you have complex entities and entity structures, um, know your customer, KYC, know your business, KYB, the risk, mm-hmm. all the risk activities that have to happen, uh, lots of documentation. But, but what we were up against was, the way the bank had worked historically, if you wanted to do business with us, we would send you a bunch of paperwork and you would fill it all out and you would send it back. Then we go data enter it. And then you wanted to layer in treasury services. You wanted to do ACH. You want to do wires. You want to do positive pay. You want to do things like that. Then mm-hmm. more documentation, more paperwork, more <sighs> you know, manual process. Mm-hmm. And so we've digitized all of this. And even on the retail side and the branch, if you wanted to open an account, you actually, in 2021, had to go into a branch and fill out paperwork. <laughs> so, well, everybody would be masked up too, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, so we, we we've solved that, um, and we solved it through that that the talent that we brought in to drive those solutions forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I know because your CEO has been, I always take a look at what CEOs are saying uh, in the media in the month or two before um, I have a CIO on the show. And he, uh, Rob Holmes has been doing a significant amount of talking about the technology, that the technology changes you've made. Uh, he refers to the significant investments in people, process, and tech to make it easier to do business. And he mentions that our proprietary platform enables us to open new commercial and consumer deposit accounts within 24 hours. And that in commercial banking is, it's a big deal. It's the kind of thing you'd expect from much, much bigger banks. It's not the first, you're not the first people in the universe to have done it, but in your space. No. Well, actually, it's the, the bigger banks are more challenged in it. Um, oh. It's a more difficult thing for them to do because... Um, they may be encumbered by a lot of legacy through acquisitions. And, and you had mentioned we, we didn't, you didn't have yeah, a lot of that. That. Mm-hmm. that is one of the things that worked to our advantage was, um, you know, our, our core transactional systems are healthy um, and it enabled us to get out from, you know, middleware out in, in cloud native um, development opportunities to get these things in place in with speed to market, okay, where we weren't encumbered by a large organization, and and we're not global, so we're not dealing with internationalization and multi currency and things like that, mm-hmm. and so we're able to get out to market a lot faster with a whole lot less money mm. uh, to develop the solutions, and, and so that has really played well for us. I, mm-hmm. I think we're we're actually grateful that 
we're doing this as a regional bank and we're not trying to do it as a large money center bank trying to traverse massive organizations and and a lot of different systems to make this happen. Right. Yeah. The size wise, it just, it, it, and and then I've gotten that impression from talking to you that it's just a really good fit where you can, you can have, because you've been at much bigger banking organizations and there's only so much of the steering wheel you can get your hands on. But yeah. Um, One of the things you said to me was the way we built things, the how is super important strategically. Let's get into more detail on that. You mentioned that the architecture is very intentionally to scale and that you don't plan on being the size you are forever. So talk more about that aspect of what you've done with the technology and how it's positioning the bank to grow more rapidly as needed. Sure. Um, it, it, when you said that, Mary Fran, it reminded me of a talk I did for you. Um, I can't remember the date. It was probably in, probably would have been 2010. Yeah, it was going to be 2011 or 12. Yeah. Yeah. And I did a talk that was titled Thunderstorm in the Cloud. Yeah. Yep. yep. And, and I got some weird reactions about that. But my <laughs> message was, you know, banking and financial services, the cloud, you know, without a control environment, like this is something you need to approach carefully. Mm-hmm. And without standards, like we'd had in other technologies, um, you know, we saw this in the internet, we see it in the cloud, now we see it with AI. But, um, you know, we, but we've come a long way since then in our control environment where we can mm-hmm. go safely to the cloud and operate in the cloud. And that, that's definitely sort of core in our strategy. And then when we build solutions there, we're taking advantage of modern architectures mm-hmm. and these architectures are built, you know, you know, they're, they're resident and hyperscalers. They are in platforms that can massively scale more than this bank ever will. And mm-hmm. so you're really in a, in a really strong position to continue to grow on the platform, having these technologies underneath you. And it's, it's true for data mm-hmm. and being able to, to, to process data in place and, and bring it up. And then API those out to uh, a common client experience. And, and then as we build applications, you know, these are all cloud native. They are all API based. And so you can see where we can take advantage of the interoperability in, in all the way to the client experience, out to a partner network, into embedded banking and other like services. And, and, and putting it all together, you're, you're marrying up solutions that can scale, that can enable clients to have these experiences, whether they're small or large, mm-hmm. uh, and carry them through their financial life cycle. So we, we, are, we have been very intentional in, um, in our risk discipline, in our cyber and information security discipline, in, in the construction and the correct architecture to go. We could have done, you know, hey, we're just going to do a point solution. We got to get to market fast. Don't worry about sure. it. Yeah. We'll get to MVP one. We'll worry about it later. And then you know how that goes. Like later <laughs> becomes a really big problem. Yeah. So it's like, it's like a temporary fence. That, that Yeah. It's there yeah, for seven so years. To, yeah. Yes. Um, well, and I'm remembering fine. You, you mentioned being on one of our stages back in 2011. And I remember, um, I, I, 
I've done hundreds of events, so this one really stands out in my mind because you got up and you were telling some of your colleagues about the incredible alarm you felt when there was a request, and I think it was from one of the marketing groups, and they were just, they were tapping into IT. They ordinarily didn't want IT to bother them, but they were tapping in to find out, how do we get into this particular customer database? And you were talking a lot about, you know, the all of that probably shadow IT. I used to love calling it rogue IT, you know, because it was people right, thinking, right. Uh, like marketing departments thinking that, oh, well, we can do this. Here, we've got a charge yeah. card. And I think someone had already oh. signed up for a service. So I take it that it's a lot harder to do that these days in banking. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty much impossible these days. Yeah, the, yeah. the right control environment. Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot has matured over, over over that you know twelve plus year period, um, but yes, yeah, it's very very difficult to do that. But but I do I do operate with the philosophy we're on data, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really I really care less about which tools you use to go after data. Mm-hmm. I, I really care a, a lot about um, where you get it and um, whether you should have access to it. Okay, uh, and so so that's where sort of in the center of those controls come into play. Data governance becomes very, very, very um, high value mm-hmm. and critical for data domain ownership, tying that all the way down to the, the data stores and who has access to them. Um, so, so yeah, I think we, we do a much better job at those things uh, at this day and age than we did in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's probably one of those things where we can all breathe a sigh of relief, right? <laughs> but right, yeah. I think well, I think the reason that stuck in my mind so well is that it's so unusual to have CIOs in a position where they can tell you about something that they're really worried about. And you were able to talk about that, you know, at our at our little conclave there. It was one of our regional sure, events. Sure. Yeah. Um, tell me about, uh, you had mentioned, um, uh, of course, the massive investment in talent and in tooling up to do this. Um, and is, the, is this all, has that gone toward building the Cortex platform? Or was that one of the organic pieces in place when you got there? I guess I want to hear no, more about yeah. the Cortex platform. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we we had um, we had a lot of movement on talent across the entire bank, mm-hmm. you know, from frontline, you know, standing up the investment bank and, and all the new talent we brought in there, and then and then back into operations and the back office in, in tech. Um, yeah, so we when I got the call, just quick quick sidebar story. When I got the call mm-hmm. for this, I, I really wasn't looking for a CIO job. <laughs> I was fine. I yeah, but, I know. you know, yeah. we um, this one was so compelling. I didn't even have the job yet, and I started recruiting my team. Mm-hmm. So I started making calls. I'm like, you don't even have the job yet. Why are you calling me? Like, no, no, it's going to happen. Like, come on, we got to do. They're like, so, what have you been drinking, guy? What are you calling I, me? Yeah. <laughs> but um, thankfully, you know, we we were able to land very senior folks here, uh, yeah. in, in short in short order. They left big jobs, big, well-paying jobs mm-hmm. to come do this thing. And even the caliber of talent you find in this regional bank is uncommon. Mm-hmm. And I think that is sort of at the center of success. And then when you cast out a vision for how we're going to build these solutions and what we're going to put forward, and we do have a platform concept in mind. And so we built a platform that, that we call Cortex. Mm-hmm. It's inclusive of, da- of data and, and the microservices and API layers. Mm-hmm. These things carry across as a substrate um, across multiple lines of business. 
And then that gives you the ability to then launch other products off of it because you're working off the same platform capability. Okay. Uh, and so this is where we, we brought up Initio as an onboarding platform. We have C360 uh, that gives us an operating plane across all the lines of business for the client experience that's featured, you know, and integrated into call center and, and client management. And we can see everything that's going on with the client. We can see transactions. We know what's going on with them. And so this is very helpful when you're going from a bank that's more or less selling loans mm-hmm. to now we're, we're, we are we are enabling services across the whole bank. So when we engage a client, we're out there with full coverage for every product and service from private wealth to treasury and commercial to consumer to card to um, in we, we, we have a healthy mortgage finance offering as well. Mm-hmm. And then the investment bank, if we want to do M&A, we want to do sell side, buy side or syndicated loans or asset based lending swaps, like we can do all of these things now. And it's really powerful uh, to get out there. But if you think about like the tech play in that, like, okay, now, so you started at a, at a place where you're really just leading with loans. Now you're out, you know, you're engaging the entire bank. I've got to make sure that platform is capable and scalable mm-hmm. to manage end to end through the cycle for, for all of those products and services. And so that is the, that is sort of the, the idea and why we, we chose to execute on a platform strategy called Vortex. Okay. And is this a broader scope for the CIO role than you have experienced before? Because you've had essentially three plus uh, very significant CIO roles in the past. Mm-hmm. Does this feel yeah. different in terms of the number of levers you have your hands on to control? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've always been uh, kind of an intense guy, as you know, um, but... <laughs> And I've never moved this much at once. Like I've always been like someone who prides himself in in like delivery. My Mm -hmm. teams pride themselves in delivering a lot. Mm -hmm. This team, unprecedented. Like it is, it was a massive amount of movement across all fronts. Wow. And so, so it makes you feel a little breathless every now and then. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a big hill to climb. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you can't do it alone. Right. Everybody pulling in the same direction together. And that's, that's from the executive team. That's the leadership of the CEO tuned into everything. Mm -hmm. And that's the technology organization, the leadership of the talent that we have here. Um, You know, some who are still with us, you know, through the transformation, they chose to stay and some that we hired in new, like everybody together, just massively leaning in. Mm hmm in a purposeful way, you know, because they feel engaged in this, in this transformation journey. Yeah. Well, and I had asked you too about, I always ask about whether um, the digital innovation, whether that's a carved out special group or it's something that is, you know, the digital function itself. In some companies, there's a chief digital officer who's operating separately from the CIO. And you would emphasize that you don't have, you haven't carved anything special out. So um, talk about that, about how, because you've made a lot of, of fast moves on the digital front and you don't have a special group in charge of it. So how does that all work? So I think, I think it works as a function of, you know, the, the, the leadership we have in, in place in, in that 
cohesiveness and participation on, on particularly on the executive team mm-hmm. and, and everybody working together. I, I think sometimes in organizations that digital group is necessary um, because you have so many competing priorities and you need some focus. Um, here, like that building and owning our own client experiences was fundamentally part of our strategy. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, like it gets, it gets the right amount of attention and focus and we're able to sort of lead out. But, um, you know, I think for, for fellow CIOs, there's, there's a, there is a, there, there, there's a, there's a mechanism in there that I've used multiple times through my career that, that I still use today. Okay. Or, or, or a way of doing things, which is, you know, in order to sort of get pace. So one is, as a leader, I need to synthesize the business and understand it. Which, which I need help in from my peers. And then mm-hmm. with that, I can anticipate sort of what's, what's around the corner. And so couple that with bringing the right talent in to have both the business expertise and the tech expertise, we can lead out and go without like a quote requirement session uh, and get to a minimum viable product one or two and then start to refine. Mm-hmm. And that, that, particularly when you're building new platforms, new capabilities, that gives you massive momentum and speed to market mm-hmm. when you're empowered to do that. And so it wasn't something that we did, you know, in a corner. Um, this is participatory, you know, in the strategy. Yeah. And so only, so I think when you look back, it's only through the, the level of talent that we hired that were able to achieve that in, in such a short period of time. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, it does. And uh, tell, tell us more about how you have the technology organization structured. Did you create mm-hmm. entire new groups? Like, is there a, a data? Go- we used to talk about, what was it, run, plan, run, and build groups. You know, it used to be right. a lot simpler 15 years ago. So how do you have this all structured? So Because yeah. there's a lot of pulse points that you need to keep uh, t- track of here so how oh, yeah. yeah okay so how do you have it structured so that you can do that and everybody's got that empowerment to move when they need to yeah i, I haven't thought of the plan but uh, the, the plan build run in, in a long time i know i know i only said that um they were primarily set up um they're, they're really two fundamental operating models that i kind of settle on mm-hmm. the one i chose here it's a product delivery model sort of out delivering for teams I've got engineering teams sort of siloed to me. So I have one control point. I control control the, the entire tower mm-hmm. and then I federate them into the delivery teams. That's primarily kind of the structure and how we move. And then underneath Good. that, you've got all your tech services, CTO roles, CISO role, uh, data. Um, but, you know, we do see more and more convergence in the engineering space between software and data as data becomes more code. Yes. Uh, we do see like more synergies there. And so we have those lined up in the same function, but, uh, and then the, at the center point, you've got DevOps and SRE and things like that, that, that help that along and help the movement of everything through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so that operating models work pretty well. And the SRE is that. system reliability engineering. Yeah. So yes. the site reliability engineering. Site yep. reliability. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, cloud native concepts. We can template and build, we can build servers in minutes mm-hmm. standard. It's not a problem. Um, We've got tons of, you know, monitoring and 
cloud capabilities in there that, that, that gives us gives us a high level of automation that's sort of getting infrastructure out mm-hmm. that that's that's conformant to architecture. You know, we have control points to make sure that like we build it properly, control points to make sure that, you know, it, it's correct for it goes in production and we've got security layered in there. Mm-hmm. So all all that together, like that operating model has served us well through the trans- transformation to get, you know, a lot through the through, through the pipeline. Okay. Um, does it, uh, one of the other uh, topics we've talked about in the past, and I know you've encountered this in other CIO jobs, where CIOs, a lot of your, your fellow CIOs will be familiar with this, that if you push into a product organization too hard before the business is ready, you run into all sorts of essentially cultural barriers. And you had mentioned when we talked before that one of the roles you created ended up being a kind of cultural touch point. Uh, talk a little bit more about that and how you kind of how you have steered around those pitfalls that sometimes CIOs can get into when you yeah. know the, the great idea is up and rolling and the business is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's where having some experience making mistakes helps you a lot, you know, as you <laughs> as you mature through your, your roles over mm-hmm. time. And I, I've done this for a long time since 2002, and I've seen every delivery methodology that's out there, I think. Um, so, you know, I do, I do have these experiences where, you know, if, if you're in a, in a business and you want to get the, get it product oriented more like a software company, um, it is, it is extremely difficult to, to push through in a product oriented way where if you have a, a, a business product manager with engineering team to tech attached directly, which is what you would find in a software company. Mm-hmm. Like doing that in, in another business can be very challenging and culturally difficult. Um, and so what we do here is, and I'm mindful of that, and so I, I tend to run more of a hybrid kind of organization where I've got some things running agile and some things running more traditional. Oh, and and okay. I like that. And I, and, and I like, you know, a, a front end of that that's predictable to business so that you can see, you know, I have a thing, it's called a project, when it's going to end, when does it start, when does it end, what's the risk? Mm-hmm. And it, it just, it's a better way to communicate in, in, in many organizations, whereas if, I, if it's gone straight out for, hey, we're not going to do that, we're just going to do product roadmaps and, and they'll drive it from there, not every part of the organization might be ready for that. Okay, uh, so, that makes sense. So, so we do have some parts that do, some parts that don't. And then when you're we're running through the transformation, it is... Uh, we, I mean, we knew it's like essential that we communicate and we can, we over communicate. Mm-hmm. So when we got through our first round of modifications to target operating model and adjusting teams and getting in, getting, you know, new team formations. And so how we're going to do this, uh, you know, it's a little bumpy. So we kind of checked ourselves and said, okay, well, maybe we have to communicate more. So we, <laughs> we did more. Uh, and, and in the end, you know, we have formalized, you know, 266 touch points across the organization in a given year. And that's not like me entirely. It's like the teams and everything that downstream that's happening. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think, I think we ended up getting a, in a better place through the transformation and communication. And then even from the top, you know, Rob, our CEO is doing count halls, you know, every single month, like making sure that mm-hmm. we're, we're just as transparent accessible as a leadership team. We're all in the thing together. We're all pulling the same direction. 
And, and so I think through and through, we really amped up the communication uh, over the last two years. Okay. Well, yeah, I know. I've had um, uh, other CIOs I've interviewed have said that. They, they said, well, we thought at one point we were kind of over-indexing on the communication, and it you can't. T- turns out you can't. <laughs> um, and you still do donuts with Don? I do, oh. yeah. Goofy. <laughs> Nobody eats donuts anymore, but I I was wondering I, have, about that, yeah. Everybody, everybody's healthy, so I we're know. trying to find a, another type of food that... that Yogurt parfaits eat. with Don doesn't quite have that same, <laughs> uh, you know, wonderful alliterative sense of donuts with right. Don's. But, those, but those, are, those are great sessions because they're unstructured. And yeah. so what we do is we assemble people across the organization who wouldn't normally work together and mm-hmm. may not have even met each other. And we bring them in a room like eight to 10 at a time, do intros. They get to talk about whatever they want. Oh, there you and go. so I, mm-hmm. and I usually get, I usually get grilled. I get grilled on hard topics, which is fine. Yeah. I'll answer any questions I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then, you know, we, we make, we, it's, it's great to make those connections with people and, and sort of understand what's on their mind and what they might be concerned about that maybe they're not hearing in other forums and in an informal way, just, pick up the learnings and pick up opportunities to connect. Mm-hmm. Very, very helpful. When you're doing these touch points and meeting with people, does anyone look surprised or startled when they realize how deeply technical you actually are? Because that, yes. used, to, that used to be very out of fashion for CIOs. You know, everybody, anybody who started out, you started out as a software engineer at Raytheon. And, right. um, and, you know, then you have to kind of mask that for a really long time because you're trying, you know, yeah. you're trying to make friends in the executive suite. And so it's all about right. talking in the business language and all that. And all of a sudden now, maybe not all of a sudden, but in the last few years, really understanding technology in a deep level has gotten to be a lot sexier in a CIO than it used to be. So how does how does yeah. that feel? <laughs> It's, it's, it's so funny you say that because, because early in my career, I did used to hide it. Mm-hmm. Like I would hide that mm-hmm. I, I, I know how the technology works. I can read and write code. I can actually do that, but I would not tell God, anybody that. God forbid and, they find out about that, right? the chief marketing officer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and true, like as a CIO, it's not, not where you want to be spending your time. Like I, no, I'm right. very careful on where I choose to dive deep because, you know, time is precious. But, um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm better served sort of out you know, um, meeting with teams and being present, but mm-hmm. and I can't just hold up in my office, <laughs> but, but it is helpful. I think, I think the more technical folks are particularly as much, um, internal software and data development that's going on in organizations. Yeah. I mean, like to, to direct the work, you need to understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll make mistakes or if you, if you're not that person, it's okay. So long as you've got people on your team who, who can do that, mm-hmm. who are nearby that you trust to, to sort of guide it. Um, but but being more technical is does serve well, I think, mm-hmm. particularly in the speed of decision making. Um, and you know, we're more conversational about it now. I went uh, on a client visit, yeah, a month or so ago, and this was this is a, a, a tech firm, um, and you know, they had done business with us, let's say, three years ago, mm-hmm. and we were reengaging with them, and they wanted to talk to me, which is common because they also want they want a reciprocal business relationship mm-hmm. and and so they started asking me you know well, what's different and i just went unfiltered like i just went straight into you know pure tech talk which they totally understood yeah which was great because i could just 
You See, didn't, I, I don't you have, didn't to, have like, to stop translate. and explain what an API was. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and we just went straight through and they just looked at me like, like who are that you? is just fundamentally different than any other bank we're talking to. Okay. Like nobody's that we're talking to is doing this. Like mm-hmm. that is off the charts different and way different than where you were like three years ago. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. I mean, being a nerd is cool again. So, you know, <laughs> I love it when it comes back into style. Um, yeah. Let me see. Let me uh, pivot over to, we've talked a lot about how you've been doing everything you're doing up until now. But when you think ahead for the rest of this year and next year, talk about what the most strategic business and technology priorities are for Texas Capital as you move forward. Yeah, so we... Um so we, we, we're trying to go now to next level of common connected digital experiences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, last year we had a strategic imperative around, um, you know, unlocking potential of data. This year it's more unleashing the value of it in, in, a, in a secure way, which is really engaging the lines of business to drive more insight. And the, and the, the touch point of that is when we drive the insight, Remember, like this is a modern data platform, mm-hmm. so we can bring those those insights right into the client in a self serve way. So we're really after, you know, we broaden broaden products and services in the balance. You know, you you want to let first of all, like, you know, high touch doesn't always scale. No touch is not a great experience. We optimize yeah. in the middle, mm-hmm. and we're we're where where businesses want to come in and self serve, like we should let them do that. Mm-hmm. And, and be really, really good at it. And so mm-hmm. we'll be advancing on that front to make sure that we've got the right connected experiences that, that, that are differentiated, that are, that are, that are on par with, with any large institution you go to, but we're regional. And the advantage here is, mm-hmm. you know, we've got all the stuff everybody else has. We've got a Fortress balance sheet mm-hmm. and we're local. You have local decision making. It's like nobody's going to New York uh-huh. to make a decision. No one's going to Chicago, Boston or wherever. We're here and mm-hmm. we're accessible and the CEO is accessible yeah. and we can help. And so then, and then strategically, you know, it is about the relationship. And by the way, like a, a relationship mm-hmm. in, in bank, it's not about playing golf and take people lunch. <laughs> this is about understanding uh, the business yeah. and then being a, being a really, being an advisor and a solution provider across the breadth of services and, bringing the whole bank to bear on that problem, mm-hmm. we can digitally support that and support that in, on the tech side too. Yeah. So tr- strategically, it's, it's lining up uh, each of those competitive differentiators and getting out to market with it. Is this also, is it a real necessity to be able to operate like this when you're dealing with, say, uh, younger founders of businesses? You know, not necessarily baby boomers or even Gen Xers, but millennials and Gen Z, where yeah. there's going to be a certain Amazon type experience that they want from their yes. bank. And a oh, few yeah. years ago, they wouldn't have been able to get that. <laughs> I would, I would, I would actually barbell that very friend because mm-hmm. you've got yes you have that but then you also have um an older population mm-hmm. that, that have different needs so 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 yes yeah, so let's take millennials so we had some feedback recently on our onboarding experience had done you know had experiences at bear bank like best experience we've ever had didn't need training completely intuitive People you right. brought on where they were appropriately aligned mm-hmm. and and timed right were able to to help us the solution for the business. So 
and, and this is a, this, these are millennial like business people. So you imagine like, so mm-hmm. they're experienced with that consumer facing stuff that you're, you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And, but then like, but the, I, I think there's an, also an opportunity for, you know, a population of folks who are more senior mm-hmm. who have become digitally savvy, but let's say you're me and you can't see so well nowadays and, and I can't <laughs> see your stuff on the app on the phone. Can you make it bigger? Mm-hmm. There's opportunity for stuff like that too. I, yeah. I think, I think they're, they're both sides of it. Right? Yes, I know. I've been seeing it and I don't know whether I'm noticing it more, but there's all these stories about how, how baby boomers and seniors in general are a lot more tech savvy than anybody believes. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Oh, like, for sure. yes. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, the younger generations are believing that, but you know, I always like yeah. I always think, all right, like like you know, let let's let's surge onward. Okay, I want to do now. I want to pivot again and do like an emerging tech trends, the things that are of well. Um, usually, I ask a question about the things that you are following and that are of greatest interest to you. But with the last couple of leadership lives, I've had I've been fortunate to have a couple of CIOs on who, like you, are deeply technical. I had the CIO yeah. of Qualcomm on, and before that, the uh, Chief Digital and Technology Officer from Equifax, and we played a game called. Is it hype or is this really happening? So I've got I've got like half a dozen topics to run by you and to get your um, your your conservative, very serious banking CIO type uh, call on these things. Okay, the first one: uh, computation everywhere, essentially evolving beyond IoT, the Internet of Materials, where now we've got clever developers who are embedding smart chips into everything, cloth, bricks, wood, pretty much anything, like the concrete in a building might fire off an email warning you before it falls. When you look at that with all you know about technology, is that hype to you or is that something happening? I I think it's more, uh, I'm not the expert on this one, but like I think it's more hype. And I I think there's a practicality uh, Mm -hmm. part of that. Like if you relate that to uh, RFID in every item that's in a convenience store. Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty expensive to do. Yeah. And so the economics have to work out. And it's back to that two-sided market equation where like the market has to come, the tech has to come at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like how many times did you go to, you know, um, point of sale where you want to do a mobile transaction or you want to do, you know, tap to pay, but it wasn't available. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, you had point of sale that got updated and somebody spent a lot of money, but the backend services weren't there. Like mm-hmm. these things have to come right. together, I think. So I would say more. Hype. Okay, good. All right. So that one's a hype. Uh, decentralized finance, also known as blockchain. And I probably don't even need to explain what that is. The idea that the chain of transactions held in the distributed ledger can track insurance payments, car purchases, any number of assets. You being in banking, I feel like you're really going to understand and know this one. What do you think? Is blockchain finally happening or is it still hype? No, I think blockchain is happening, um, mm-hmm. particularly around things like smart contracts okay. and distributed ledger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is is when it when it involves the money supply. Uh, I think it's it, 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 the, on the you know you, we we have we have central banking system and monetary policy in play globally, and someone's got a custody of that asset, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to do it. So uh, <laughs> if you want to if, if you want to do uh, a stable coin pegged to USD, maybe maybe you could do that, but. I think uh, I think we're a long way out from a, a, 
de- decentralized finance uh, offering mm-hmm. uh, globally. So more to come and just the volatility of it. I mean, yeah. you've seen the news, like you saw what happened. Um, I, don't, yeah. I don't have to replay that for you. Like mm-hmm. it's uh, it's problematic for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, NFTs, non-fungible transactions. I had to, I mm-hmm. really had to look this one up. And to be fair, these ideas all came from some of those uh, end of the year pieces that talk about what lies ahead for CIOs and technologies and all. And so this one was about, you know, the example was artists selling a digital right to their creation, sports leagues hoping NFTs will become the digital version of trading cards. And mm-hmm. so the question is, is this an exclusive new innovation or a, a Ponzi scheme? So so NFTs <laughs> hype or happening? Uh, I, I think it's more hype, and here's why. Okay. Um, do you know it may have changed recently, but like the most popular uh, NFT based um, website is? Uh, no, I don't. And so it's called it's called Crypto Kitty. Oh, like is so this you, is this yeah. cat videos? <laughs> uh, no. No. So you no you get you 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 buy a cat. Oh. And then the cats have all these variants that you can breed okay and then you can trade cats and sell cats and they're all nft based okay well right so I, so so that number one number two there's no, the nba did one of these things where, yeah, where yeah. they would do um do videos and like and then they would they would release these packages and you might be able to snag a video that you have rights to and if that nft belongs to you mm-hmm. and then the media picks it up and runs it then like you could get paid on it right um the, here, the, the issue is, is like I've, I've used some of these things and tried them out and like it is very difficult to use. Ah. Like you got to set up your token. You got to have a digital wallet. You got to run through oh, all okay. like it's not for everybody. <laughs> and, it, and, and until a chat GPT thing happens to NFT, mm-hmm. I think it's nascent. Like it's, it's a thing that's going to be hard to get adoption. What I do like, though, for a bank is mm-hmm. uh, consider that your modern day safety deposit box. Oh. And where better to sort of do that than, than a bank? Like, you, yeah. know, okay. you know, safe and, and risk managed. So there's, maybe there's a future where you can, you can envision that as like, I've got my NFT work of art. Like, where do I want to store it? Because if I lose, if I lose my crypto, crypto keys, mm-hmm. I'm out. Like, I don't have the thing anymore and I can't yeah. get it back, right? Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. Next one. Quantum resistant cryptography. Which even this story about it said it was a pie in the sky idea without a lot of practical demos yet. But what if magical quantum computing machines do start rolling off the assembly lines? You know, what, how is there a new generation of protocols that will be able to resist the power of the quantum hardware? And I know that you're kind of deep on, on being a security guy. So what do you think? Is that hype at this point or could it be starting to happen? Yeah. I think it's definitely, definitely hype. Okay. And, and, you know, these, these things take a long time to get in the mainstream, you know, faster than you used to, do, to you know, and the whole Moore's Law. And uh, he passed away, by the way. Did you know that? Like, yes, um, Gordon Moore. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the Moore's Law, I think, can get shorter and shorter duration in, in cycles. But look how long it took us for internet adoption. Look how long it took even for cloud to become sort of mainstream and or safe. For, and for IoT to have all kinds of Internet of Things to have all sorts of that's right real applications yeah and compute power and energy consumption and refactor like i think it's more hype okay well the metaverse 
metaverse has been taking a real beating lately. I've been seeing all kinds of, you know, like things dropping on how much hype versus what's really happening right now. It's essentially an undefined, this article said, an undefined amalgam of technologies and concepts. It's everything. It's NFTs. It's augmented reality, cryptocurrencies, extended reality. Uh, I know that Facebook now called Meta would love it to become something real. Uh, and I even had a friend of mine who follows the retail industry saying that retailers that weren't staking out storefronts in the metaverse right now were going to be sorry that they were going to be missing out. So what do you think? Is it going to happen or is it still in that hype area where we don't have to worry about it too much? Uh, so I, I, I honestly think it's a little bit of both. Like, first of all, I think meta, I, I think, I think meta, I think they're, I think they missed it by 10 years. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think they're, they did it too soon. Okay. Um, per- personally, like, cause it's just not, not there. Um, my kids use these VR headsets. Like mm-hmm. I think they give you headaches, but um, you know, but I will say like, let's say that you have a metaverse and you can buy property in the metaverse mm-hmm. and that, that crypto asset has value in the future. Mm-hmm. It would, it, it, it could be today what domain parking was, you know, 20 years ago. Don't you wish you mm-hmm. bought, you know, CIO.com, <laughs> right? Because it'd yes. be worth something uh, yes. or, you know, whatever the domain is. Like it's, it's actually like you do a new thing today and you try and go find a domain. It's actually pretty hard. Oh, it is. Yeah. All the, all the common terms are taken. Yep. So, so is there an opportunity to land yourself on, on a digital asset today mm-hmm. that you can, that, that like just, you shouldn't take it as something that, that's going to increase in value. Just it's gambling. So if you just take sure. it and have it, it could be worth a lot 10 years from now mm-hmm. if a metaverse happens. So, yep. so there's a little bit of risk reward. So I'd say it's kind of okay. in the middle. It's a little bit of see. both. All right, good. Last one on my list decentralized digital identity. And this idea here is the privacy advocates are building these algorithms that will reveal just enough info that you can pass through your identity check, but keeping a bunch of other stuff about you secret. And then another version evolves in reverse, where the advertising industry, the old evil advertisers, right, will be looking for ways to stitch together all of the various pseudonyms that people use when they're online. And semi-anonymous browsing on the web will kind of go away. So that's uh, the idea. Is that coming? Is that hype or is that possibly happening? A decentralized digital identity. So I, I love it. I, I <laughs> thought about this kind of thing, you know, when, when um, I think it's like homomorphic encryption or like the, mm-hmm. you know, you can pass keys and get something back without cracking the egg and see what's inside of it. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty useful. But I think mm-hmm. if you're talking about anything that's going to get into the government and your driver license program or your social security mm-hmm. card, like you, I, you are, that, gets- that is a, that is really, be really frightening. Powerful. Yeah. So unless it's, unless it's privatized and then and mm-hmm. then controlled, but um, I think something does need to happen for more digital protection. But I would expect that happens more on the on the device in your hand okay. uh, than it, it does anything else. All right. Good. Good. All right. Very good. So we had one that you kind of waffled on. You said it's hype and it's happening. Um, Three out of the four are pretty much hype. And then right on the borderline is this last one, digital identity. And then uh, blockchain is finally happening. I can't, I I lost count of how many CIOs I asked to come on stage and talk about what they were doing in blockchain. And all of you guys in finance for the last decade have been like, oh, we're playing with it in the lab. I know we don't want to talk. 
about it. So it's good to know that it's happening finally. All right. I have a wrap-up question for you. What have you learned about your own leadership style in the last few years? You've been a, you've been a CIO three times, of course, but the last couple of years you were doing a, your own management consulting business, and now you're yeah. back in the thick of it. And it's probably been a very different experience in just this whole new job and all this yeah. excitement. So what have you learned about Don Goen in the last two years as a leader <laughs> and a manager of men and women in technology? Yeah, I, I think if I just play back over the years, um, more focus on on people in leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've I've in, in past years I may have thought maybe that's you know I'm not going to read a book on leadership. How do you read a book on leadership and go do that? You know, and today I would I would read all of them um, because <laughs> I, you know I think. There's just so much learning in there. It's easy. To, it's easy to know when leadership's bad. Like it's yes. really hard to define. You know, in the many ways it can be good. And so I think more focus on on people and culture and sort of being present and being out and and is is more the fundamental change in, in me. Okay. And part of that came with you know running my own business, trying to just live out on my own and not need mm-hmm. anything else. Um, you know, selling is really hard. <laughs> Oh, like, I, I know. I've I've just it's especially yeah. hard if you don't have a brand, um, and so you <laughs> you have to connect connect your kind of uh, inner self in, in such a way that that's that's different than, than yeah. being a CIO and and riding the wave. Um, so so I think that's that's fundamentally more of it. And then you know I'm I'm much more measured in uh, you know at at 52 than I was mm-hmm. you know at 32 when I started <laughs> this thing, um, and so. Uh, just, Take it all in stride, like everything will be fine. Yeah, I love that idea. I lo- I especially love the idea that people really should read more, because I feel like you know that's that's what we could definitely. I but I still get books out of the library, so you know, like I'm very old school. I mean, I have a I, Kindle. I, mean, yeah. I read things on a tablet and all that, but I sure. uh, I just think you get so many different ideas in different worlds that you get to get yeah. into, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, but a lot of the leadership books are quite, are quite one. Do you have a yeah. favorite one? One that you would tell there, everybody one, to read? Well, there's one we're into right now called Extreme uh, Ownership. Okay. Uh, very good read. Uh, right. It's a Navy SEAL team um, that, that then went in consulting and business. You can draw these parallels on ownership. Mm-hmm. It's a good read. I did that one, uh, Kindle and Audible. So I would read some on the Kindle. And then when I get in my car, I can pick up and then listen. Yeah. So I get through the book that way because I don't have time to sit and read it. But when I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I prefer to smell the pages and flip through. Yep. But uh, I do that. Book. I do that same thing. I've I've at, at one point recently I had a book I'd taken out of the library because if I read when I'm trying to fall asleep, I get there faster. If I actually right. have a real book. But I also yes. had it on my Kindle and Audible, so I was yep. obviously really into this. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's so fun to be able to go from one media to the next and just kind of a, cool. a continuity with it. So thank you so much, Don. This has been a such a great conversation. Yeah. And I know a lot of my CIOs coming into this say like, oh, an hour? What are we going to talk about for an hour? I feel like we could go for another one, though. I hope you enjoyed it as I much so as too. I did. Yeah, it flew by. Thank you so much. It's okay. always good to connect with you. It really uh, is. We can do more. And and good luck with everything you're doing at Texas Capital. If we haven't convinced our, our watching our watching millions here that you've got a great tech operation going on and that you're got your arms wide open for tech talent, 
then yes. we we had failed at our mission. But I think that maybe our mission <laughs> is accomplished here. <laughs> right? Thank right, you yes. so much. Thank okay. you as well. Yes. And if you joined us late today, uh, do not despair. You can watch this full episode later on today here on LinkedIn and also later in the day on CIO.com and on CIO's YouTube channel. CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you find your podcasts. As Don and I were just talking about that ability to go from video to um, listening, you can do that with these shows as well. And I hope you all enjoyed and got as much out of today's conversation with Don Gowen, the EVP and CIO of Texas Capital Bank, as I did, and that you'll plan to join me again in two weeks on Wednesday, April 19th, when I will have Justin Kershaw back for a return engagement. He is the retired CIO of Cargill, who is now working three different jobs. This is so much what retired CIOs tend to do these days. He is one one of our leading CIO executive council coaches. He's also a senior startup company advisor, and he's a member of a public board. So uh, Justin and I will have a lot to talk about, as I find I always do. Thanks so much for joining us today, and please do take a moment to subscribe to our channel on YouTube, uh, a CIO's YouTube channel, where you can find all the previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. So if you're desperate for something to binge, by all means, we've got over 100 of these wonderful interviews now. Stay well, and we'll see you here again next time. Take care.